Welcome back to another episode of On Coaching with Magnus and Marcus. I'm Steve Magnus, Deputy Director of High Performance West, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus, Director of High Performance West. John, it is 2018. Oh, we're here to give the people what they want for every day of 2018. And what I mean by that is you got to go to highperformancewest.com. Yeah, we sponsor ourselves. I've been sponsoring myself since 1983, August 1st. And there you can get the workout of the day. That's every day and a blog post and more goodies coming. So again, check it out. We sponsor ourselves. I hope you do too. And uh, I'm very excited for what 2018 is going to bring for not only myself, not only Steve, not only the athletes you work with, but also you, as well as the new High Performance West. Only, only the cool kids sponsor themselves. We, that's true. You're not cool unless you sponsor yourself. That's right. Get it done. Don't rely on others. That's, uh, that's what yes, you're doing. Yes, I mean, here. we got to you know, eat what you preach, right? So it's resiliency, <laughs> self-reliance, autonomy. Like, those matter. So for everybody who has been coming, thank you. Like, thank you, thank you. It's been exciting to see so many people reach out. It's been exciting to see so many people be like, yeah, I read that workout. That was mind-boggling. Or, oh, man, that helped me think a little bit more deeply and more critically about what I'm doing or what I'm asking athletes I'm coaching doing. So, man, it matters. It's important. And to all my day one people who came out of the woodwork <laughs> and, <laughs> and he said, I mean, not just, you know, who came out of the woodwork and were like, oh, hey, give me something for free. But the notes that people sent, the thank yous, the Hey, I've been listening to you guys since day one. This is how I've grown and changed. Like that to me was, is worth more than, you know, all the Bitcoin in the world. So thank you. Dang. That's uh you're bringing Bitcoin into our podcast. We must be uh, hitting, you know, hype cycle right now. <laughs> you can't, yeah, you can't be tone deaf, man. Cryptocurrency. It's, <laughs> it's here now. <laughs> that, that'll be a future ex- uh, episode. How to uh, master your cryptocurrency game. Yeah, by the time we probably do it, cryptocurrency will be out of vogue, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. You know, it's all good. See, we cover everything on this podcast. You think it was just running and coaching, but no, it's life. So, (laughs) speaking about everything. Everything, yes. Everything. This is an everything podcast. An everything about the 5K podcast. Yes, you name it, it has to do with the 5K. (laughs) We're talking about today. Everything. All right. Well, we've set ourselves up for, uh, you know, either a really long one or, um, you know, failing to cover everything. So, let's... well, buckle up, man. We're gonna we're gonna go for a ride. All right. Let's let's jump right in. Where where do you want to start? Uh, how about the five k is the hardest event on the track? The Ooh, hardest event. That's a bold I, claim. That's 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 my my interpretation. Steve, where do you sit with that? That's that's a bold claim. You know, the five K is one of my favorite events to coach, actually. Um Oh, it's one of my least favorites, so good. <laughs> we can actually like I'm like, Oh, you want to be a five car? Ooh. Alright, you know what you're signing up for. Are, are you sure? There you go. See so I love it because it has this like unique combination of endurance and speed, you know? I mean I mm-hmm. guess every event has its own little combination, but like you got to be pretty darn fast, but you have to have, like, the aerobic strength of, like, an animal, you know, <coughs> to pull it off. So, 
as an athlete, I probably would have uh, been right in there and said that it's the hardest one to race because I sucked at it and hated it. Mm. And my maybe that has to do with my 5K PR coming from a 5K at LSU. So you can, <laughs> of all places, <laughs> that there, there was there was no Stanford magic there. It was <laughs> it was good old Bayou magic. <laughs> the Bayou magic. That's right. So I'm gonna need a conversion on my 5K because of that. <laughs> but yeah, let's see if Hansi has a Bayou conversion 5K time. That would be. <laughs> that's that's my hope. Um, but it is, it's tough to run, you know, I think it's tough to run because it hurts a lot, almost like a middle distance event, but you have that long period of uncertainty and doubt as you circle the track for 12 and a half laps. Yeah, it's, uh, you're redlining for 13 to, you know, 20 minutes, depending on how long it takes you to get around the track for the 5k. I mean, you're redlining the entire time. And the reason it's so tough is it doesn't matter how fit you are, that is the game. That is what you're signing up for when you are running a real 5K. This excludes, obviously, championship 5Ks at the end of a conference meet where they just throw everybody in because everybody's exhausted. Steeplechaser is 1,500 meter runners, and coaches are trying to secure as many points in a last-minute effort as possible. But, you know, if you're running a legitimate, honest 5K, it is tough, and that is the ask of you. It's the entire three miles of the event is at your red line and how long can you go and sustain? Um, I remember speaking with Chris Linsky on a run once about his, you know, magic summer of, uh, I believe 2010 when, you know, he ran some of the fastest five case of all time, like three times under sub 13 in you know, some of the top five case ever by an American distance runner. And this is when he broke 27 or 27 for the 10. And I was like, slow man, tell me a little bit about the fives. Like, which one was easiest? And he just stopped me right there. So, Jamar, they were never easy. None of those fives. I was hurting after 200 meters every time. And so, you know, that was a point of clarification for me when, you know, you had Selinski here saying, hey, that was, I've never been in that much pain or discomfort in the hurt lockers, he called it, for uh, any given amount of time in any race, save a five. And it didn't matter that I was in maybe one of the best fitnesses and forms of any American distance runner ever, uh, I mean, he couldn't escape it. So it, 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 you know, I remember, you know, talking to Adam Gatzer about it too. And he said a very similar thing. And he's like, it's the man, it's the manliest man's event. You know, he, he was taking very, you know, um, uh, adopted a posture that is very, uh, you know, uh, dominant and strong. And I mean, that's just the way he framed it. Cause we were just, you know, talking as we do locker room talk. Um, <laughs> but it was just like the manliest man's event. Like you got to really have the cojones if you want to be able to race this event at the highest level, your highest level effectively. And so when I see all these like, you know, couch to 5k programs in my mind, I'm just like, couch to red line programs like oof that is like oof man you I, I'm, I'm always amazed and inspired by people that complete those types of programs because real 5ks are real hard running even when you're doing workouts when I, you say oh we're gonna just do something easy at 5k pace no such thing no such thing like i see people do oh you know 5k pace workout whoa good luck with that that one's gonna be honest and that's i think a point of respect i have for the event as well you know, I say dislike it. It's just, man, it takes a certain type of bird 
um, to really thrive in that event. Yeah, well, there's no settling, right? You, and the longer events, you can kind of... <laughs> you can get in, get a rhythm, yeah. you know, like a 10, you know, even in cross a little bit, like 8Ks or something, you can yeah. you can kind of get out, establish a rhythm, and then, then start to put in the foot on the gas. But, you know, to quote Mike Smith, this is foot at the punching the foot the pedal to the metal all the way down the entire way yeah you know it's interesting because um i wonder how many people actually do that <laughs> that's i mean that's really the event though i think sometimes we forget that right no you know, i i think that's the event but i think what happens especially in the u.s system is like you come from the mile up right and mm-hmm. your your perception is that like the five k is a distance event, so like you bring in this mindset of like settling. And if you look at how high schoolers run the five k, right, it's like out crazy hard. Second mile kind of sucks. Bring it home the mm-hmm. last one, right? And I think right. that's because like they haven't learned how to race it. Yeah, I mean, if you're settling at any point in five k, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Period. Period. End of story. And you know, so then that brings up the question, Steve, how to race a 5K effectively. Oh, man. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can. I mean, you know, so some people like to play the um, efficient game, right? Oh, I want you to run even split game. That's the game they play. They say that we're going to show up to the track and today's game is run the splits at this. And we go to Perfect weather in Palo Alto every year, you know, as college and uh, even post-collegiate coaches and professional coaches, we all cater or clamor to cater to this concept of you're going to even splits at Stanford and it's going to be awesome. And it's just, yeah, you're just going to go. Ah, I've rarely seen that. And because the reality is you hit a, you know, a, a lactate, you know, threshold very quickly in the five. I think, you know, it's about a mile, mile, 2K in. So the first 2K, yeah, it's kind of free. But then you have, you know, if you're a male, you have nine minutes of running. If you're a female, you have about nine and a half, like ten and a half minutes of running for that final 3K where you're right on the edge of your lactic threshold where acidosis is being buffered at, you hope, a rate at which it can use, you know, itself as fuel and not create um, you know, the, what people call lactic acid, but the acidosis effect where those H ions turn the muscle cells off. And then you feel like you're running in quicksand or you feel like, you know, you hit a wall and it happens. You're like, go watch any Stanford 5k, Peyton Jordan 5k. The pack is like there, they're looking good. It's big. It's all together about 2k in. And then, you know, even like for the first section is about 3k. And then all of a sudden they go a lap. And that after 3K, it's like, whoa, what happened to that pack? <laughs> what? I mean, someone didn't drop the hammer. The pace stayed pretty much similar. But what happened was people just fell off a cliff of acidosis. They were like, oh, I'm on my threshold. And that's what we mean by redlining. You're redlining on that threshold. Can your body physiologically keep up with this buffering of lactate? to use it as fuel rather than to have it be a uh, source of toxins that's going to impede your progress. And man, I just always like to just get a bucket of popcorn and just stand at, you know, like 
the um, top of the, the the second curve by the steeplechase pit at Stanford for those five Ks. I just I wait till after those three Ks because it's like all of a sudden it looks nice and fluid. It's a big pack, and then carnage, lots and lots of carnage, and it's like wow. And I really respect that because these are still men and women who have showed up and are you know again seeking a fast mark, seeking a PR, a record of some sort. But they're fighting. It's a heavyweight boxing bout round you know 16 for the next five laps because they're just swimming in a sea of acidosis yeah you know the thing i love about it is it becomes just kind of a survival mode after 3k and mm-hmm. like you're trying it's the game the game i play with the 5k is get to like 600 to go right because then you can fake your way through almost anything yeah. um and it's like, can you get close enough, feeling just good enough, that you can convince yourself you're almost done and can and can kick, you know? And with <clears throat> actually with the uh, one um, female I coached in the five k, uh, who was world class, like that was the name of the game. Our whole strategy revolved around getting to like eight hundred to go, and if mm-hmm. we could get to eight hundred to go, we knew we were good. So like her instructions were like hey find that red line where you're like grinding it pushing it but that you can make it to 800 to go and if you're pushing over that then like it's not going to go well and i think that's the trick on the 5k in racing it is like really figuring out where your individual red line is and like are you the type that rides it until you can't then you blow up or are you the type that like rides it for a while and if you sense you're not going to make it like you have a slightly slower lap or two in there. Um, right. Think about the mile. It's a really extended version <laughs> of the mile. For the mile you only see that little lull for one lap, right? You go yeah. two laps. That third lap there's the third lap lull and then the big kick. 9 times out of 10 we see the third mile lull, right? And yeah. then the big kick the last two. So it's just teasing out the duration of discomfort and the duration of tolerance that you need to have built up from the mile. And it makes sense. It's three times almost roughly like, all right, it's three times the, the, the distance. So the duration of discomfort or the duration that you're in that red line or that hurt locker, or however you want to describe it is instead of one lap four. <laughs> and, and man, there's a lot of mind games. There's a lot of self-talk that goes into um, those four laps, those final four laps of a five. And that to me is where it is the most unique coaching challenge because you can physiologically have someone ready to go and feel like they're in the best effort or shape of their life to give the best effort. And they're, you feel like all the physiological ecosystem inter- interaction and exchange is really, you know, at a high level of repute and it can do it. But then they're just mentally not callous. They're mentally not ready for the reality he's going to face in that last four to five minutes of running at a good hard rhythm. And that's another reason the wheels fall off. So it's not, and I've seen coaches like, I don't get it. They were crushing workouts, all the races leading up to this. Like they ran a good 10, they ran a good mile, they ran this and everything that indicated that they're quote unquote ready to go. But you know, there's a, it's a, it's a deep dark space that you kind of have to go confront when you go race at five. Yeah. You know, my favorite story time, my favorite, uh, 5k blow up I've 
seen in my college kids was we, we had a kid who was a, he was an 823k guy indoors trying to run like 1440, 1435 mm-hmm. outdoors in, in a meet in Houston. Is dead on 1440 pace, led a bunch of it until 600 to go and then dropped like a 90 second 400. Ooh, and it was the what the greatest example of like he rode that line for as long as he could, mm-hmm. and then it was just legs out done, you know. Yeah, and it wasn't like motivation, it wasn't fitness, like it was just on that day in that space, like <coughs> when it was done, it was done, you know. Yeah. Um. And it's tough because there's no coming back. Like once you, you know, You're fall done. off yeah. that edge, it's, it's it's over. It's done. You, yeah. You you can't. There's no second wind. You can't rally. It was funny. I was reading, uh, run 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 uh, again. Um, just kind of looking through it through the language of training in the back um, appendix of it, and it had you know uh, underneath this glossary of terms, basic training terms, it had quote unquote second wind, and it was like. I believe the definition was akin to something novice runners experience, but the um, well-conditioned runner is not privy to. And I was like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> like, if you're well-conditioned, there's no second wind. And anytime I hear someone say, oh, yeah, well, we're getting through the first 3K or first two miles and then of the 5K and then we get the second wind and, you know, then you're going to get after it. It's like, oof, that's setting someone up for failure because you're right. When it's done, it's done. Yeah, no, there's no coming out of it. You know, it's, uh, that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like, you never know as a coach when you're watching until you get through it, you know? That, yeah, it's the most, I, I, it's the most anxious coaching oh, I, I have. Sure. You know? Cause it's just like a, wait- a 10. Yeah. It's a waiting game, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're waiting and you're looking at signs and you're like, all right, are they going to make it this next lap? Especially in those races where it's just like, Roll with the pack, hang on, and see if you can make it, <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's what you don't know. It's lap by lap. After yep. you get through the halfway part, they can look great. You know, I've I've heard, and I, I myself have coached people down there at Sanford or other places. Oh, you look great, awesome job. You know, just giving all the encouragement in the world, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what happened? They just got gapped by like 15 meters. The front pack didn't speed up, but now <laughs> they're not in contact anymore. You know, and you you just you shake your head. You're like, what happened? It, 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 this was less than 90 seconds that they were there. They looked great and they, you know, were composed and engaged and locked in. And now they're just out the back. Yeah. You know, one of the things I always suggest is coaches, if you go to that meet, is just like, just watch it or just watch it on online. It's harder, but watch the tail end of the top pack. Right. Mm-hmm. And just watch how people look. And like when that breaking point comes and it's like, like you see it in people's form you see it in their running they go from like super smooth to like oh gosh like what happened and Mm -hmm. you know it's always an interesting phenomenon to watch because it gives you appreciation for like the rigors of the event yeah i mean it's science in you know in in biochemistry and physiology in real time in front of your eyes <laughs> that's what i think it's kind of cool everyone's like oh yeah let's talk about the lab like no just go watch a 5k if you want to see lactic threshold um you know at its um you know purest and rawest and most you know ex- uh, expressive form go watch a good 
hard 5k ran at any one of these time trial meets or even i mean even the you know nowadays like with the women in the world championships and olympics like with the way they're running the 5k at that world stage where they're gunning hard from first step right or i mean you can watch prefontaine's 1972 olympic final i mean what happened was he went for it blood and guts like ran all out like you know in that last 150 meters right he had himself a medal but because he went for gold he faded hard to fourth you know and it it was probably a little apathy because he didn't get his mark of winning a gold medal but also too like he just physiologically was bankrupt you know and ian stewart just you know sniped him at the end but that's you know when you're training someone for the 5k that tolerance training you know whether it's physiological tolerance and or mental tolerance those two things must be top of mind when preparing someone to run a series or even a one-off of competent competitive 5ks so it's it's amazingly critical so let's get into that the training side because i think that is i i think the other piece of it is on that training side there is like you can go from having all the capacity to do it um but not have like the mental physiological ability to like you know tolerate stuff mm-hmm. and, yeah and yeah. you could see a, a big drop right someone yeah. can be ready a woman can be ready to run fifteen twenty, but if she hasn't done like that final piece of the puzzle then she's gonna die and fall off to fifteen forty. Exactly. Yeah. Right. No. It, yeah. Yeah. All right. Where you want to start? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of ground to cover with f- everything about five K training. I I know. There's a lot. Um. <laughs> let Let's just start with uh, how you approach it. Like, what's what's the mindset? What's the principle behind it? So the mindset is I always get everyone in a you're going into a prize fights match. Like you're gonna take punches. And you're going to throw punches. You're not going to come out of this unscathed, right? So I try to adopt a boxing posture because I think it sets the right tone of like, look, it's going to be hard. I'm in it to go the full 16, right? You're not going to win by knockout. So, and we know as fatigue accelerates, it gets tougher not only to throw punches. So throwing punches, meaning making a surge, making a move, trying to create separation in a race, trying to, you know, quote unquote, kick. But it's also going to be hard to take punches and withstand it. That means, you know, someone else employing some type of, type of competitive tactic, right? So you have to be able to receive the punch and also give the punch. And that, I think, has helped me – coloring, you know, my preparation of athletes has helped me and the athlete a lot understand the rea- harsh realities that they're stepping into. So I talk a lot about it from a boxing standpoint in that regard because, again, I just – I want there to be – absolutely zero um, uh, confusion about the realities that they're stepping into. And then, too, we can then have conversations about what round of the, you know, the match, quote unquote, what round are you trying to experience today? So like we step on the track. I'm like, all right, guys, today, you know, it's a 5K workout and whatever the design or construct is, you know, da, 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 da. the whole goal of the workout, though, is to get to the end because here we're going to have a little bit of sparring or a little bit of, you know, and I try to keep that boxing theme top of mind, even in training, because that is the, uh, you know, metaphor and the vehicle I've used and analogy I've used to kind of help them get in the right mind space um, there and say, hey, all right, you know, here I want you to throw some big jabs or uppercuts. 
because again, I'm really trying to get them, you know, a mental shield and a mental posture um, prepared just as much as I am trying to get these physiological responses ready. So that's, you know, from a mental standpoint, how I approach it, I equate it to being a going the full 16 in a boxing match where you're given everything you have until that final bell. What about you, Steve? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, for me, I focus on um, a lot of, you know, it depends on the, on the athlete and the level, obviously, but a lot of my rhetoric focuses on being tough in the middle and like dealing with the uncertainty of it all. Mm-hmm. So I take the 5k and I say like, <clears throat> we got to get to 800 to go or a K to go. And if you get there, great. And we'll let the chips fall where they may. So we focus a lot on at the beginning of the year, especially on the, on getting the 4k. Right. Mm-hmm. And our motto kind of is if we get to 4k, and it's a good day, then we're going to be there, right? And we're going to knock it out of the park. Um, but if we, do, if we don't get to 4K, like, you don't give yourself a shot. So, like, my rhetoric is around putting yourself in position to give a shot. Um, because I think if you don't, like, if you don't go through and you don't accept that, like, it's going to hurt and you're going to grind for a while and you got to get to, like, that end point... And what you have a lot of times that happens is like an unintentional lull in there. And with most athletes, I'm trying to eliminate that lull before we worry about, you know, putting the complete package of the race together. Because my opinion is that most people, what happens is we we try and put together a full package race and there's too many things to worry about. Right. And. We can't put the finishing touches until we're like in a position where we can worry about those things. So, um, it's not until people either, you know, maybe get to the NCAAs or, you know, maybe a little bit at the conference championship or like get to a point where they're trying to make teams that I'm really, really concerned with like the finishing touches, if that makes sense. Yeah, you got to identify where the real racing begins. And I think, yeah. yeah, sometimes we, especially at the five, we try to get too cute too early and say, oh, well, we take it for granted that they're going to get to 4K in the race or two laps to go unscathed, right? And that's not the, that's not the reality at all. If you're running a good, honest 5K, you're going to, you're going to get some bumps and bruises and some nicks and cuts, right? You're not going to be, at, you know, two laps to go, completely just, oh, I'm just walking on clouds. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, first steps first, you got to get to the place where the real racing begins. you got to get there. So many people don't even get there, right? And then once you get there and you see what that reality is like and what the big dogs that you're competing against, whether they're top of the conference, the nation, or the world are doing, then you can go back and start preparing. But I, I think that's very wise counsel is you got to get – there to where the real racing begins and that um you know uh echoes what i also a lot encourage my athletes too is we're getting to the place where the real racing starts there's there you know there's a nice little prelude and the prelude and the preface is getting to the point where i say where the players separate themselves so you know we know those thresholds like halfway in a mile halfway or 700 or 500 meters into an 800 you know 
3k 3200 meters into a 5k and there you see this where it's a big pack of people and everyone's in contention and all of a sudden the field shrinks and is you know cut in half by 50 percent because the players are separating themselves from the people and I, you know i don't call them sometimes i call them pretenders but they're not pretending they're just not ready for the demands of that race at that speed and to really really race it which means throwing in surges you know, uh, hammering on the pace, tightening the screws, however you want to define it, right? So we know that anytime you step to the line, half the field's not going to make it. You know, the attrition rate's at least 50%. Half the field's not going to make it in most 5Ks to beyond the halfway point as a nice pack if you're going at at least reasonable or honest clips. Um, you know, so with that, then what I also like to employ is a lot of you know, um, I guess a little bit faster than lactate threshold or, you know, lactate aerobic threshold or LT or, you know, you can call it 5K race pace work. So for me, a lot of 5K prep is actually doing a lot of 3K work. So because, again, the 3K and the 5K are um, very close siblings, but they're definitely different. But I'd rather people be exposed to the more abrasive and more unruly sibling, which is 3K work then do a bunch of 5k stuff so this is my personal principle i always try to um if an whatever event an athlete is writing themselves for i always try to do the bulk of their um specific work at one race distance down so faster than what they're aiming for so again if you're running a 10k you do a lot of 5k work if you're running a half marathon then you're doing a lot of 10k work if you're running a five a lot of 3k work if you're doing a mile a lot of 800 work right because what my um, model is that i and the framework i'm operating from is saying let's get them so callous and tolerant of the type of work that is beyond the scope of what is asked of them so that when they get to where the real racing begins they have the tools to race they fit they physiologically biochemically are ready to do that so i employ a lot of sub or faster than race pace type work in their preparation cycle so that it's a familiar territory a familiar space of like oh this is how we're doing it and one of the key tools i use is you know what's called new interval training or some people call it russian interval training which is this idea of you know, running at that specific speed and then taking an incomplete recovery that's very short, you know, what's called a roll-on or some might call a float. So a classic example is, you know, um, six times 400 meters at 3K pace with a 100-meter float, or I call it, you know, the the correct uh, terminology is roll-on, but the 100-meter roll-on at a kind of like half marathon type pace. So, you know, and sometimes I, I'm a little kinder and I go marathon type pace. So like for, say, for a, a male, uh, you know, or a national class male who's trying to run, you know, at, let's say, four, in college, 14 flat for the 5K, right? That's about 68, 67 per quarter. What that's going to look like when you break it down is two to three sets, so 9K worth of work of, um, um, 400 meters with the 100 meter roll on you count the 100 meter roll on as actual work it's just again it's kind of like an on-track fartlek you're playing with this nuance but it's a very disciplined on-track fartlek or you're going at say 64 65 per lap and then you go 100 meter roll on at you know six minute pace 22 seconds or something so very incomplete recovery that i found 
what it does is it encourages, you know, the um, uh, athlete to experience what it's like to tiptoe that red line with acidosis and lactic buffering right there. And then, you know, it's they get a little mental reprieve of 100 meters of like, okay, all right, got to get ready for the next round, right, going with my boxing theme. Um, And then they can just focus on one lap at a time. And two, the reason I like employing that type of session is one of my go-tos for five periods is it allows them to focus on one lap at a time because you know you get this 100-meter reprieve where you still got to go. You're not jogging. It's not a rest. We don't call it rest or recovery. It's a roll-on. It's still work. Don't get me wrong. It's just less abrasive work for 100 meters. And so you do a couple sets of that. That exposes the athlete in real time to not only the biochemical demands and physiological demands, but also the psychological demands and gives them tools and practicing tools to focus one lap at a time, to grit their teeth to get through. Okay, I have three more laps to go on this roll-on workout. I'm on the third set. Man, I'm really feeling the impact of acidosis and lack of lactic buffering right now. But okay, just one lap at a time. And that's my encouragement. Like, hey, you can do anything for 90 seconds. You can do anything for 60 seconds, however long the, the interval is. And remind them, don't think, just do it. Just go, don't think. And then that's the encouragement that's discussed or, you know, yelled at them uh, as they take that 100-meter roll on where it's like, okay, like, Oof, let's get ready. Yeah, I like doing um... – <laughs> Doing a lot of stuff. I use different terminology like that, but we'll do stuff with floats. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, I use this for 5K and 10K, where we'll start off with maybe running something like, you know, six miles um, with a 600 of it on and a 1,000 meters of it float, and then, like, slowly progress that to where it's, like, six miles of, like, 1,200 meters on with a 400 float. And that might be for like 10k style, like 1200 at 10k effort or a little faster, 400 float off. And it's a great way, like when you take incomplete recoveries like that or recoveries where they have to stay focused, it's a great way to simulate staying engaged the whole time. Um, without having them have like rest periods where they can like check out for a minute or two in between stuff. Um, mm-hmm. it's also why I like to, always start my 5k cycles almost almost always with like 400s with like 30 40 second break so if mm. you if you do like you know sets of i don't know five or six 400s with 30 to 40 seconds break you can get down near like 5k speed which is pretty damn fast um but 30 40 seconds isn't enough time to turn your brain off so <clears throat> it's a great way to get a little bit of that work in without you know, starting with something like K's at that pace. Um, but it makes it where they mentally can't check out. So, yeah. And that's, and that's the key thing I think is creating, uh, sessions and you can only do again, these are abrasive, very potent, high tolerant sessions in a 5k buildup for me. I only do one every 10 days. And sometimes a race is a, is that session, right? Like if you're going to run a 3k, like, let's say you're getting ready for Stanford, you know, 5K, uh, you uh, NCAA college coach and athlete, and see at the end of March, beginning of April, well, you know, your indoor conference 3K or, you know, uh, your um, 3K, uh, your fast invite 3K, about two months out, 
right, or six weeks out, that's that's a session for for the five. You can treat it like that. You can use that as a learning tool for in your early preparation for that that hot 5k that's come down the pipeline so you know don't forget too it's you i think sometimes we think oh we got to do all this 5k specific work you know weekly or twice a week that's a recipe for burnout as well because again the potency of this work is so high that you need to create the space for the athlete to um you know respond and adapt to the stimulus that you're um is subjecting it to yeah, exactly. I mean, it's uh, you're playing with fire a little bit, you know. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> so, like, that's why I'm with you. Like, I do my specific work at you know at most once every ten days because it is. It's you're playing with fire whenever you're like doing that stuff. And the the funny thing is, like, you can get away with doing faster, shorter stuff, like <laughs> as long as it's a little bit more controlled. But like. The 5K stuff is so, I don't know, it's it's demanding, but it's also you can accumulate a large volume of it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where you get into problems um, because yeah. I, I can get greedy and, you know, dictate, you know, five miles worth of work at 5K pace if I want to, and they'll probably be able to do it, but it's so much work that's so, you know pretty fast that it becomes it can really dig you in a hole and that's why a lot of times i like i like using like cut down stuff where we like mm-hmm. start a little bit easier so that i have a little bit more room to play with and i can still get high volumes and we'll finish a little bit faster so like if we're doing mile repeats for example so if brian was doing mile repeats and we decided to do uh four to five of them we might start like at 10k type effort where he's running 435 to 440 the first one and by the last one he's running you know sub 420 or something like that where it's really cranking but he got one or two reps to kind of like ease him into getting near that effort and you know when doing it like that i think it it's almost like a a little bit of a safety net where you mm-hmm. you can get the volume in and get down to the speed component that you want, but without like playing with fire the whole time. Yeah. It's almost sometimes I think of it, it's like cutting yourself, you know, it's like you want to cut, you, the athlete wants to cut themselves enough to bleed, but not sever an artery. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's a, it's a masochistic event in nature, right? And even training for it, you have to be a little bit of a masochist. So, um, I use that framework and that reminder same as you, not to overdo it. Because my tendency is to want to say, oh, let's do five by a mile at, you know, 5K effort with, you know, 400 meter recovery in, you know, two two minutes. Or the classic 5K work, right? Uh, workout is like eight times a K, you know, at 5K, 3K pace with one-to-one work-to-rest ratio, right? Um, that's a just good you know, standard Daniels approved workout and there's nothing wrong with it. It, it. It's awesome. It's solid, but it's tough. And, you know, for me, you need to save that reserve, right? You need to save that kind of like, um, 
that mental emotional reserve for race day. So it's it's a, it's a f- hard balance because you're trying to build up this capacity, <laughs> but also not trying to waste that mental emotional reserve in workout because you can pour 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 it in pour it in pour it in a workout, and then they but they emotionally are bankrupt on race day because they've been going to the well emotionally and psychologically in all these workouts to hit these tough sessions and nailing in the park and like you know hit homers in practice but then they get to the race and they strike out so what i try to do is i always you know um use my use the keep it simple you know stupid rule which is like um but also applying that with be smart so it's like keep it simple stupid and be smart which means back off a little bit so if i want to do five times a mile I actually do five times 1200. Or if I want to do, um, you know, K's, then I might do breakdown K's or K or, you know, where I package it is like three by K and then five, three, two, you know, sets of that. Right. Cause again, I want them to get there and I, I, I want them to experience the harsh realities and demands of that event, but be able to come out, you know, having to go to well a little bit, but just, Drink a couple cups, not yeah. empty it. So, I, and, and that's I think the hardest part. Yeah, and I think that's where it's like, as a coach, you got to figure out where that line is and like when you want to push it, right? So I intentionally, when mm-hmm. I set up training, I intentionally have one session where I'm like, all right, this one we're gonna like go to the well, go see God, um, test ourselves out a little bit, and and see what's there, right? But you can't you can't set every specific workout up like that. And I think a lot of times what happens is people get in this like mathematical worldview where let's say they've decided that K repeats is their 5k specific work. Then every time they do K repeats, they want to get a little bit faster. Right. And if you do that, what happens is you ride yourself into this well way too often (coughs) and you have nowhere to go. Right. So I, I think it's really important when you're setting up training is setting it up where you say, all right, like roughly, when do I really want to see what's there and like really push them in practice and make this a key session? And when am I trying to get like the bang for the buck, but maybe go 90% of the way, right? Put them yeah. in a, put them in a place and you're like playing with the training where you put them in a, a place and then like take them out of that place, right? And it's, it's controlled to degree, controlled, you know, um, tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tell people, like, for those abrasive sessions, like, man, I want to see your butt spank red. Like, you're going to get after it. You're going to get butt spank red today. But the promise is the next session is super easy, super just, you know, relaxing. So, <laughs> you know, if you're going to say do – K repeats or mile repeats or, you know, some type of a package of really stout 5K, 3K specific work. Your next workout is like, you know, two, three sets of four to six times 200, you know, with 200 easy in between jog, like at, you know, mile pace. Like it's not, it's not an impressive session on the paper. Like, oh man, I got this awesome, you know, four mile cut down workout. And on Tuesday and then on Friday or Saturday, it's like, coach, that's it. Just, you know, 12, 200s packaged in four repeats. Yep, that's it. Because, you know, I think we, we talk about the work done on the day, but then we also have to think about the the tax, the recovery tax 
politics that is, you know, very, that you have to uh, appease and be, you know, respectful of, because if you don't, you start digging yourself that hole. And that's, again, we, you want to go to the well, you know, early and often in training. I believe in that. But I, I think you have to be specific. When you go to the well, it's taking a cup or two out of it, not emptying it. And, I, you know, I think a lot of times when people say they went to the well, they, they emptied the well. They emptied all the reserve they had. No, no, you need to know how to access and how to use that fuel and you need to know how to quickly go there and, and you know, get everything you have out of yourself in reserve, but not take it all out. And the whole promise of the well is, right, slowly but surely it will fill back up if you give it time and space. And that, to me, I think early on coaching the 5K was a big error of mine was thinking we could just keep linearly progressing this work throughout a training cycle throughout six weeks or eight weeks and we could just all right every you know two weeks the k's or miles get faster or the you know the quarters get it faster or however you do it um without creating that buffer of a nice easy session right afterwards like because if you're asking people to you know put on this armor this mental emotional armor to like knock out this very stout body of work on one day that's going to take at least a week for them to, you know, re- rebound from. And, oh, dear, do not do that before a race. Like, <laughs> you know, it reminds me, like, if you're going to do a really intense, honest 5K session, you need a minimum 10 days, minimum, before your next race. Um, just because, again, the emotional taxation is pretty high. And I think the longer I've coached, the more I've respected that tax even though that physiologically they might be rip-roaring ready to go after four days because they've, you know, quote-unquote recovered. and But we know adaptation and that response time is a minimum 10 days, if not up to, like, you know, um, 28 days. And I, I sometimes I even remind athletes to this day, like, oh, I got to work out, coach. I got this race coming up. You know, it's in, you know, eight days. Or it's, oh, man, I just want a workout that's going to get me ready. Oh, you're as you're cooked. You're ready for that race. We can't get you better. We can only get you worse for that race. I'm more worried about this race three months from now. That's one we still have influence on. That's one you can still have, you know, enhance or decline your capacity. But as far as this race, eight days out, you you got what you got. <laughs> and all we can do is, you know, cool. be foolish and deteriorate that by doing too t- intense or too voluminous or too um, to well, high quality of work. It's then, se- it's then security to prove yourself, right? Right. You, you yeah. gotta, it, when the work is then in there and done, you just gotta accept it, right? You gotta say, <laughs> here's where I'm at. Like, let's, let's see, let's see, let's prove it in a race and see if it shows up. Um, but then security of it is like proving yourself all the way up until the last minute. Right, because you think, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not ready. I need this, this, and this, and this. Well, you might need that, like over the long haul, but it's not going to make a, a damn bit of difference for this race coming up. And I think, right. like I, the longer I coach, the more I look at that emotional component and how emotionally draining things were, because I think that's different than how physically demanding they are. And I think that notion as a coach is something you have to understand and figure out. Right. It's it's reading reading your athlete, seeing how they respond, seeing, you know, where they are emotionally and like how much emotional energy did they have to use to get through a workout? Because sometimes they use a lot of emotional energy when you don't think so. Maybe if they're coming off like, you know, breaking up with their girlfriend or boyfriend or like 
you know, coming really, off finals or midterms or a big paper. Yeah. Exactly. And they're using, they're draining that emotional bank just to get through something that isn't that demanding. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, it's, it's very attentive work, like yeah. doing 5k preparation work, like 5k specific work. You have to be hyper attentive as a coach, put the phone down, turn off all social media, like do not get distracted because you as a coach, your eye needs to be, you know, keenly fixed on that athlete as they go throughout the session. And then too, ready to have feedback and dialogue about how they're experiencing that session. And that's again, where, you know, asking questions like, how was that for you? What were you thinking on that rep? Walk me through it. Because as a coach, you're trying to get as much information out of that athlete during the, the more the callousing 5K session because that can help you better color how you prepare them now down the road for falling sessions and then also that target 5K race. But I always like for a 5K session, I put the phone away. I put it in. I I don't even give myself the opportunity to be distracted. I put it in my backpack and on the other side of the track, and it's just me and the athlete and my stopwatch and i'm just you know keenly fixed on what they're expressing on that day because i need to take all that in because i know what what you know mountaintop we're trying to ascend them to and they need my full attention and if you don't give them your full attention if you're all over the place trying to figure out oh we gotta you know fix travel or we got this recruit in or something no no don't schedule anything for that else to you know distract you as a coach on that day of that of those in, honest intense very potent 5k workout sessions for your athlete be fully present with them yeah i think that's really important because it is a fine line that you're running through and i think you know going back to the other point that you made that i think is important is a lot of times we see workouts and run is hard easy right there's a mm-hmm. there's an extreme dichotomy and you need to start seeing like the various shades in between Right. So that, that 200 session, like we'd call that a very easy, like a moderate rhythm session where you're just trying to get some, you know, rhythm work in and it's not too demanding physically or mentally, but it's something. Right. And you have shades of, you know, moderately hard or under control hard or whatever it is your terminology. But I think it, it helps as a coach when you start seeing workouts in those shades versus just like oh this is a hard day we need to go hard right yeah because it it matters right so we're getting up past an hour here but one thing i thought oh it flew by man man that was fun that just flew by yeah it did one thing that i thought would be pretty cool to share is i just pulled up natasha rogers training from the week before or the two weeks before she ran 1508 in the 5k and uh, just roll through it. That makes sense. Just kind of give a... Uh, yeah, no, I was there. I saw it. I was there in person playing proxy coach. That, <laughs> like, it was right. the best 5K I ever proxy coached in my life. So I, thank you, Steve. <laughs> I know. Good, good job, John. Way to go. Yes. I t- as I told him over text, I was like, Natasha crushed it. I take full credit. That was awesome. <laughs> I've never... I mean, the only other 5K I ever saw where I was is equally inspired as... When Tara Welling, um, you know, set her 5K PR at the Stumptown Twilight Meet, taking full control of the race after the pacer dropped after a mile and just shepherding that field to, you know, a bunch of women's running sub 530 on a on a rainy summer day 
in the Pacific Northwest. Like not your normal rain, like torrential downpour rain. But yeah, that 5K was awesome. So I'm just going to shut up and listen to you speak because like I want to know. All right, so let's go. So you guys get exclusive look. <laughs> look, here we go. Training. All right. This was uh, May 2017th. So f- 15 days out. We'll start there and then go in towards it. 15, right. day- 15 days out. Four by 472 seconds with 60 seconds rest. Three minutes rest after that. One mile and 510. Three minutes rest. Five two hundreds and 34.35. That is not that hard, folks. Okay, so you sit there and you think, all right, a couple fours, a mile, a couple twos. It's kind of a disguised moderate rhythm session, sessions, right? So not, mm-hmm. nothing mm-hmm. crazy. Two easy recovery days, and then that Saturday, so now we're at 12 days out. <clears throat> Pretty dang hard specific session, okay? So two by mile, these times are at altitude. Two by mile, five minutes. 456, three minutes rest, four by 800, cutting down from 227 down to 221. So nice. Whew, spicy. Hard workout. Okay. Two easy days. Then what do we do Tuesday, which is seven, eight, nine days out, five mile tempo, under control and smooth, start at 540, ended at 525. So Nice aerobic, not a pressing tempo for her. Um, just something that's good, solid. <coughs> Two more easy days. And then we go six days out. Ah, oh, this is a John workout. 15 by 200 with mm. 200 jog. 36 to 34. So again, what is yeah. that? Not that hard, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So if you notice here, <clears throat> just the interlude. We had our last big hard session 12 days out. And yeah. then it was kind of a maintenance aerobic session nine days out. Why? Because we're in May and she was training for 10Ks and 5Ks and we needed to mm-hmm. get work in. But that tempo run wasn't for Oxy, right? The tempo run right. was for, you know, race a month down the line, right? Mm-hmm. Then you come back. We're within a week. We go to rhythm. We go two easy days, and then the last workout, which was three days out from Oxy, was a very simple, very easy seven by one minute on, one minute off at 10K effort. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I call the don't, you know, F up workout. Like, yep. you're fit, you're ready to go. Oh, let's just make do something so we don't mess you up workout. <laughs> it, it, that That is the do something workout. Yeah, do something, but don't do too much because we don't want to make you tired. If you leave this workout more tired for the effort, we've we we screwed up because yeah. you got a big risk coming up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there you go. That's that's the training going into it. And I think what you see, I don't know. I think what you see is again, there's a lot of moderate stuff in there, and there's a lot of like maintenance stuff in there, um, surrounding of a pretty damn hard, you know, pressing workout at altitude. Yeah. Well, I think what my takeaway was, you know, again, we're talking two weeks out before, yep. you know, one of the the best five days, you know, at fields every year consistently on yep. U.S. soil at Oxy. And she's a national class, budding world class athlete. I mean, Natasha's good. National champion in the half marathon, national champion in the 10K in college. Like she only did one hard session, you know, in yep. a two weeks period. 
And, you know, again, you know, I'm sure when you look back at her body of work that season and her body of work was very methodical and consistent. And I know we've talked about before, she had some ups and downs in the indoor season racing. And I think you've even posted a couple, um, you know, work out of the days or session or blogs about how you guys managed that disappointing indoor campaign to re, re rebounder for the amazing outdoor um, 2017 spring calendar racing she had. But here we are two weeks out and, you know, Tasha arguably is one of the best distance runners at that time in the U S she does one hard session. That's it. You know, and I think sometimes we have to remember like it's all, that's all it takes in that one hard session because it's 15 days or 12 days out that gave her, and she's mega fit. She's mega fit at this time. Yeah. She just, but 12 days out is probably the bare minimum time that she could absorb the stimulus from that workout respond to it and get a positive adaptation you know and that i think we have to remember in every coach has to remember like that's all it takes is we're just slowly drip by drip trying to get this positive adaptation and it you know thinking you have to do anything to prove you're ready oh i gotta prove (laughs) that that's foolhardy because you end up sabotaging the athlete's race and ability to compete rather than enhancing it as was the you know impetus to prove you're ready for this 5k coming up in a week in you know in five days i mean and the biggest takeaway is like i mean i've never i haven't seen this this you know natasha's training plan yet for this time period and just that one easy one off one easy one week one minute easy one minute off very light session is something exactly i would do too where you just don't mess up we're ready to go all the the all we can do is screw you up. And that's my mentality going into any race about a week out. Like if it's a big race, conference race, national championship, big time trial race where you got to hit this international mark or whatever, it's like I go into don't screw them up mode. What do I want to do? We'll just screw it up. And I, I mean it really is true because all you can do in that, that final week before that big race is do work that's going to have an adverse impact physiologically and mentally rather than a – positive impact and your best rule of thumb is just keep it really light and simple like that so they feel awesome i want people to be like coach i feel great i'm excited oh i'm ready you know because the hard work's done if the hard work has been done for months and months before then you have the privilege to have these light and fluffy sessions about a week out and be excited but you know again the body of work counts here yeah it matters you got to put in the body of work to get to that point I think is important. And I think, you know, when you look at race week stuff, as I look at it is how little can I get away where they still feel like they're doing something and their legs still feel like they're, you know, putting in a little work. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's how it is. And it differs for every single uh, individual in person, right? Marathoners, for example, um, a lot of times going into work, you have to fake your way through a little bit longer stuff that isn't, that hard um because they're used to doing such long sessions so it's like what can you do to set them up without screwing them up (laughs) Mm -hmm. and sometimes too you know you're not privileged to run one two three five k's in a season like you know like when i was coaching junior college like these some of these athletes had to run 
four to six 5Ks because you have to run a time to get into the next meet, to get in the next meet, to get in the next meet down the road, right? And so 5Ks are also just 5K races are also very good 5K training. <laughs> like, you know, you start off in the early season, you run this first 5K, you take, you always want to buffer about a week or two if you can, but sometimes I get calendars don't. I mean, I've personally had athletes that had to run a 5K for varying reasons every week, you know, or three out of four weeks in a month, right? Just because if you manipulate it correctly and have the correct approach, it is the best specific training possible, but you have to then go into those types of sessions. And that's just the realities of coaching is, hey, we need you to get this conference or, you know, regional qualifying mark. Okay, but you, but in order to get into that race where you can get that mark with that big pack and race them, you have to get the qualifying mark to get into that race and so on and so forth, right? So, again don't don't be shy or bashful if it's like oh man i have to this this person's quote unquote not ready to run a 5k no sometimes pick your target 5k whatever that may be down the road national conference championship 5k etc and then use all the 5k's that you have in your racing calendar as you know one as racing exercises and experiences where you can learn a lot but two also as training activities again i'm not a fan of telling athletes this this race is a quote unquote workout but view that in your construct of the season of your mind of saying, hey, this workout or this race is has workout tendencies and natures. How do I ha- have the athlete approach it from a racing standpoint so we get the um, psycho-emotional, physiological impacts we want to prepare them for the target 5K at the end of the season? Because – you know, I just don't want people listening to this um, episode of the podcast and be like, oh, I better just shut it down in training and not race for five weeks or, you know, be really cautious and, you know, do, do, do. Like, no, that's not the reality of the, the racing world we live in as coaches and athletes. But I think with intelligent design and, um, you know, organization and planning ahead of time and really being very, very clear about what your target is, you can, you know, use the racing calendar and multiple. 5Ks on in a season to your and your athletes' advantage. I think that is a uh, a brilliant place to end. So. And that's all we got. That's everything. Everything <laughs> on the 5K. <laughs> everything from training <laughs> to racing to how demanding it is. Um, that is everything we know about the 5K, so don't ask us anything else about the 5K. <laughs> I'm sure we'll revisit it a lot. I mean, it's it's a very complex event. Uh, I mean, like all are on the track when you really get into the nuance of it. So, um, but hopefully that helps. And if you do have questions, I will, Steve might not answer, but I will. So email me at um, jmarcus.hpw at gmail or shoot me a direct message on Twitter. I'm happy to, to reply. It might take me about a week to get back to your question. I try to, I try to get back to everyone's inquiries within a week. Um, and some of them are, like I said, they're good. They're great questions. I mean, shout out to Joan Hunter, Drew Hunter's mother, and also coach of the Nike Cross National Championship men's um, team this past season. She sent me like a lot of great questions. I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. And I've actually been trying to like get on the phone with her just because I want, there's so much to unpack, but it, it goes to show you like she's one of the best high school coaches right now in the country. And she still has this inquisitive mind, you know, asking simpletons like Steve and I our opinions on things. So that's that's the goal, right? That's the whole point of the podcast for now going on four years or Steve and I putting ourselves out there. And the new High Performance West is to say, hey, this is a place 
in a, a culture of exchange. And if we connect, we'll all learn and grow and get better. So thank you for the privilege of the last several years. And I'm also excited to continue interacting, engaging, exchanging, you know, at the new High Performance West. And also, too, with all the fun workshops that we're doing coming down the pipeline in 2018. We're going to have more. We got our first one coming up shortly here in Seattle on the 12th with our good friend and coaching colleague, Danny Mackey. He and I will be doing one in Seattle. But Steve and I have plans to do more in-person and online, either separate with a co-host or together sometimes if the locale and timing works out. Yep. So uh, keep telling us what you want, and we'll uh, keep trying to deliver. That's what we do. We just give the people what they want. Here's to a great 2018, everybody. Thank you.